0: discussing their process and passion in bringing these women to life. Welcome to Complicated Conversations. On these episodes, there's no spoilers. So come on, it's starting. On this episode of Complicated Conversations, we welcome Jenny Jackson. Jenny is a vice president and executive editor at Alfred A. Knopf, a graduate of Williams College and the Columbia publishing course. She lives in Brooklyn Heights with her family. Pineapple Street is her first novel and newly minted instant New York Times bestseller. The news came out last night. Congratulations, Jenny, on, on the book, the list, all of it. Welcome to Pop Fiction thank Women. Thank you. Thank
2: you. I keep saying that I feel like I'm hallucinating, but if I am, I don't want to stop. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no. I love that. I yes. love that. If this is a dream, just leave it there. Just I'm yes. good. I'm all good.
1: We saw that, and we were just so excited. I'm like, we're going to get her the morning after. She's still going to be floating, I'm sure. So stay up there. Stay up
0: there. (laughs) perfect. Yes, yes. Well, tell us a a little bit about just a brief description of Pineapple Street.
2: So Pineapple Street is the story of three women in one Brooklyn Heights family, a wealthy family. And it follows their different relationships with money. We have Darlie, who was born into money. Then Sasha who has married Darlie's brother, so she's married into money, and then Georgiana, who is the millennial baby of the family and who has a moral crisis and wants to give all the family money away.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: We love that. So this is perfect for us because we are a podcast that focuses on complicated women. So you've given us three perspectives, which is amazing. So I want to start with Sasha. The outsider, as you noted, she is the sister-in-law or the one that married into the family. So tell us about your development of her and why you wanted
2: her perspective to start that off. Sasha novel. came to me first. And I think that having an outsider introduce us to the world of the 1%, 1% of New York is helpful. Because I don't think that the other sisters even realize how privileged they are. And so having an outsider bring us into this world really just allows the reader to see what we're dealing with. I was inspired to write Sasha by my friend Allie. She's one of my best friends. And during the pandemic, her in-laws moved out of New York and said, hey, we're not going to come back. So if you and your husband and the baby want to move into our Brooklyn Heights Brownstone, you can have it. She was like, oh my God. amazing mm-hmm. and they move mm-hmm. in and the apartment is just totally full of her in-law's stuff and she wasn't even allowed to hang up coat hooks so it just <laughs> yeah sword. exactly the yeah. yeah. string mm-hmm.
0: yes mm-hmm. yes well I want to talk about Darlie who was I don't the one I can relate to in certain ways the most and I want to talk about her specifically in connection with Pineapple Street the title because I Obviously, I knew that it came from the fruit streets of Brooklyn, but I kind of had hoped that there would be a little bit more deeper metaphor, and you gave it to me, and it was such a delight. So I want to read a little bit, if that's okay, about the children as, as fruit. So Darley knew she was an orange. Cord was the pineapple, obviously. He was joyful, bordering on Goofy. He was thrilled to be the center of attention. He made every gathering more festive. Georgiana, meanwhile, was the cranberry. She was the baby of the family. She was bright and beautiful, but she was not entirely sweet. That left Darley to be the orange. Boring, dependable, always around, rarely celebrated. Also, she knew, protected by a thick layer of rind, only truly accessible to those willing to put in the time to peel it away. Oh, I love that. And then later, (laughs) a few pages later, she kind of reckons with this idea and and realizes she doesn't have to live this way. And she she says, again, she wanted for the first time in her life to peel back her bitter rind and open up to the sweetness within. Oh, Mm -hmm. fantastic. Fantastic. So tell us a little bit more about Darlie, what inspired her and how you came about her her voice and her perspective.
2: Darlie is, is one of my very favorites. I came to her last, which is funny because I knew that I wanted an older sister and I knew that she would have children, but the key, but I was just having a hard time finding my way into the character. The key that opened up Darlie for me was her intellectual passion. So Darlie is Mm -hmm. different from the others in that she is actually a hardcore geek, you know? She was super into mm-hmm. math. She's been really she's a STEM girl. She went to school, she started out in investment banking, long-time passion for aviation and the business behind airlines, and that's how she falls in love with her husband Malcolm because he's also what we call an av geek. And so the two of them mm-hmm. share this intellectual passion. But Darley has two children in quick succession and experiences something I think a lot of us can relate to that it is hard to have a high flying supercharged career and have young children. And she tries and mm-hmm. you know there are some details in there that come from you know real life experiences of friends when she's trying to pump at work so she can continue to give her children breast milk. And the guys on her team make mooing noises when she's walking, you know, with her cooler. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I related so much to that, to the challenge of being a mom. I have two young children Mm -hmm. and Darlie's really battling with finding her identity after having children and giving up her intellectual passion.
0: Yeah, because she wants that. She doesn't pretend that this is everything, being home with her kids. It almost just feels like, not a, a necessity in a way, and she doesn't want to choose, but if she has to, this is what she chooses, but she's, yeah, still seeking that out and and won't no, let it go. She
2: won't, and she mm, yeah. in there's one scene that I hope readers will find as sort of poignant as I did where she does a little pretend day trading after something happens, but mm-hmm. she, she isn't mm-hmm. allowed to actually invest because of her husband's work, and you just see that she's so good at it
0: yeah yeah mm-hmm. absolutely
1: yeah and it's i'm so glad you called her a geek
2: because i was
1: thinking or uh, you know intellectual passion sounds better but i was assuming that corinne and i relate to her because of the other things you said we're both mothers ambitious struggling with identity but really it's yeah it's the geek we, where, love, to you geek know, <laughs> we, we love to geek out and and so that explains a lot so georgina I am not a millennial, but I am the baby Ah. of the family. And so we're also really kind of obsessed with birth order on here, Corinne and I, and offline too. But so we have a lot of discussions about this. So I do relate a little bit as just as the baby, but... So she is a really interesting character as well. She is in this off-limits relationship, and she has this sort of naivete that's sort of heartbreakingly evident in one particular passage I want to read because I think it's so... Good as well. So Georgina didn't need to be his girlfriend. She didn't need to stake that claim because she knew completely and positively that everything she felt for Brady was reciprocated, that they could call it friendship and he would still look at her in a way that made his insides go hot electric. They were friends with benefits. And for Georgina, that benefit was that she was sleeping with someone she loved completely. Mm. Oh, it's just that last line, line is, is, that, Oh, yes. So. It's so perfect for her and just, it says so much. So tell us about your development of Georgina and what it's like to, what it was like to write her, because it seems like it was. Yeah, a lot of fun. I mean, she
2: was absolutely the most fun to write because I think she is a delightful brat. Yes. You know, for the first half of the book, she really doesn't know how privileged she has been. She doesn't know that she's spoiled. She does sort of unthinking things, but she has very good intentions. She would like to be a good person. She would like to think of herself as a good person. And then she does something. She gets caught up in passion. And it's sort of her romantic innocence that means she doesn't see the warning signs. And like in that passage that you read, I think a lot of us have been in, you know, I don't know if it's friends with benefit situations or we have thought that we understood a relationship to be different from what the relationship actually was. And it feels pretty terrible. And I don't blame her for the things she did. I don't feel judgmental towards her for the things she did. I think that she made a mistake. But the reckoning with that mistake is where real growth happens for the character. When we can yeah. face the music mm-hmm. and think, hey, I want to be a good person and I'm not doing it right. How do I get there?
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, so yeah. good. Yes, yes. And I, I, I think that really comes through in the way you've painted her, which could have gone many other ways. Well, she's a love Um, to
2: hate. I have heard from people who are like, oh my God, I couldn't stand, oh, I couldn't relate to her. But I hope that even if if she made readers have a visceral reaction, I hope that they still enjoyed being in her company and also saw her journey.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And also there is just something really earnest and Naive about her that that you just think oh with time with growth with experience this isn't who she is it's just where she is I love maybe. that where she is yeah. I like that yeah you wrote this book in the close third person perspective but also helped us see miscommunications with the different points of view kind of the wrong assumptions and that's from little things like the beaver that (laughs) Sasha finds that she thinks is like this cherished artwork meanwhile it's a total source of shame and then also really deeper like when Malcolm thinks that a secret that Darlie is is keeping from her family means something that Darlie doesn't intend it to mean she's got her own narrative going in her head and there's secrets, but there's also just poor assumptions and miscommunications in this novel everywhere. Do you think that people are bad at communicating with those that they love? Or do you think that these are flaws in the relationships? Maybe some of both. I'm just curious where you are I
2: love this coming question, from. and I love the way you've thought it through. Because <laughs> I think you've, by identifying close third person as the vehicle for communication... That is exactly why I chose to write it in close third person. When you want to create a drama about people who love each other and who have the best intentions for each other, the conflict is often going to come from misunderstanding. And when you're writing in close third person, there is this marvelous little window that lives in the space between what the character knows about themselves and what the narrator is able to to know about that character and that little window is where the magic of misunderstanding can occur I believe that they love each other very much I do believe that they have not grown up with the best tools for communicating and of course there are a lot of cliches surrounding you know wasps and repression I think it's true in a lot of different families and a lot of different cultures you know my mom is southern and I really grew up taught never to dwell on the negative, only to talk about the positive. If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. We're super mm-hmm. afraid of conflict in my family. And so it's not, the, it's not the traditional WASP family. It's a much more Southern upbringing, even though I grew up in Massachusetts. Yeah. But just to say, a lot of us have had family upbringings yeah. that discourage difficult conversations. Yes. Oh yes! Yeah. Oh,
1: that's a, yes. that's a we favorite topic lie. on here
2: as well. <laughs> that's
1: a whole nother therapy yeah. conversation, but absolutely agree yeah. that it is not unique to wasps or or a certain class or anything else. It is also pretty ubiquitous.
0: It's only in novel writing where you're you can say the magic of miscommunication. Right. And it,
1: <laughs> yes, yes, exactly, yes.
0: Yeah. So
1: we said in your bio and it's well known that you're a very well-respected editor. You've edited some of the biggest books, Kevin Kwan, Gabrielle Zevin, Chris Bojelen's books. I mean, you name them, you've been involved. So. What was it like for the editor to be edited? And what did you learn having been on the other side? It just must be a very, very big learning experience.
0: Yeah, and what's the difference between your expectation and the reality (laughs) of it, right? Because I can imagine you think, oh, I deliver this kindly all the time. I can do this.
2: (laughs) I I wish that I had done this 20 years ago in terms of the level of understanding I now have for the author. I had this really off-base assumption for a long time. When I had an author who didn't like revision, secretly part of me thought it was laziness. Secretly part of me yeah. thought they just are bored with the book and want to move on to the next. They're burned out. I discovered something really weird when I was revising. And it's that, yes, it was hard and difficult to rearrange things. Yes, it was hard and difficult to you know weave through changes. The hardest thing was going back in and writing new scenes finding your way Mm. back to the exact voice that you had when Mm. you were writing. It's, I mean, it's like tapping into a very specific mood. And I had been out of that mood and that mind space for months. So I now understand what my writers, the writers who are resistant, I understand and empathize and just respect it a lot more than I used to. But I will say I lucked out and I have the best editors and their notes were really kind, really smart. And I do not like revising. It turns out, but they made it as (laughs) painless (laughs) as possible. But it's
1: not because you're lazy. Now you know that. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and I I read something about how Kevin Kwan, speaking of one of your authors that you edited, there was like a post-it note that you keep of something he said that helped inspire you to finally take the plunge yes. to write this. Kevin what has was, been
2: just, I mean, that. so inspirational on so many levels. He's become a close friend, and he's a he's just a really generous, wonderful person. And he taught me a lot about writing comedy, about pumping up the volume on a place so that you can turn a place into a character. But he also writes with intent, and his intent is to deliver his readers joy. So Kevin told me he keeps mm. a post-it over his computer that says joy. And so I did the same, because that was my mission with Pineapple Street, was to create a joyful reading experience. And so as long as that word was hanging in front of me, yes, there will be scenes where the characters have to you know, suffer some sadness but the point of the book was to deliver joy to readers
0: and somehow that that comes through I I, it really does because it's not. yeah it's not a you know it's not a comedy in and of itself it's a dramatic book but there is a through line of of joy or of like a good feeling behind it all um we want to talk about being a gma pick because yeah, how excited, I know some of your early interviews that was not announced yet, so we're getting you after, and I'd love to know how that happened and and how you felt, how you reacted, and and how that's been as a process. Like I'm trying
2: not to cry because it it was yeah. You can't Aww. make this happen, you know. I'm a I'm a publisher. If if you could make a book club pick happen, I would do it for every single book. You just. have Mm -hmm. to be lucky and your book has to resonate with the team. And GMA Mm -hmm. responded so quickly. So the publicity team sent out Pineapple Street to the book clubs. They responded within a week and they said, yes, we want to take it. And so it was like this crazy thing where I knew about it so far in advance. And (laughs) also just... Like what an amazing team to say, we don't need to wait and see what else comes along. We feel like this is for us, you know, and they've been such incredible partners the whole time. A little bit scary to go on live morning television, and if we have a second, I, I'll just tell you one funny thing about it. Yes. So, oh, we like, do. Yes, I'm trying to put together this, you know, vision of like a chic author, and I spend all this time thinking about, like, all right, I'm going to wear this pink dress, and like, you know, get my hair looking mm-hmm. good, and the morning of. I mean, we have to get to the studio super early. And I'm just, I'm so nervous. I'm like, I can't eat breakfast. I'm so nervous. And I have two small children and my house is like pretty much always like in the process of a landslide of disaster. So I'm running out the door and to my husband, I'm like, honey, can you just grab me a granola bar? Like, I'm not hungry. I can't eat now, but I might want to eat right before I go on stage. And he's like, we don't have anything. And so he grabs the bag of bread, like sandwich bread. And there is one slice of whole wheat bread in the bottom of an old bag of bread. he's like, here, and he throws it to me. I grab it and I run out the door and I jump in the car. I'm about to go on stage and I'm like, I'm ready. I'm feeling good. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God. What if I faint? I haven't eaten anything. I'm so nervous. What if I faint? And so <laughs> it, the whole I'm sitting in the green room with the GMA team, and I'm like, "Excuse me, guys." I pull out the plastic bag of bread, and I'm like, "Just gonna eat this little slice of <laughs> Just bread. Just gonna nibble on this." They the, been- the, the, the heel
1: of the bread. Oh my god! That's by the way. <gasps> oh so god. this could happen in my house. It's like such a mom story, like right? Yes. Of course. Absolutely. Of course. <laughs> oh, oh my god! My that is so good. Oh, boy. Well, this is, I'm going to lead into a totally funny, hopefully, random oh, segue it's here. it's not oh, a no.
0: random segue because that's a oh. mom story. Yeah. Okay, go. But she knows more than me. This is about astrology. So
1: we have a side interest, very strong one here in astrology. And so we ask all our authors, what's their sign and do they relate? Unless we cyber stalk them. And I believe we know yes. you're a cancer. Is this correct? Yes. Okay. <laughs> and so... You've said a few things already. She's right. It's very maternal, cancerian. Um, Home is very important. You've wrote a book, very focused on a home and a place.
2: So do you relate to being a cancer? The part of it that hits closest for me is the sensitive part. Because yes, the I am sign. both on a good day very sensitive to other people's emotions, and on a bad day super sensitive mm. about my own <laughs> <laughs> to your yes. own yes, exactly
0: yes. to your own exactly. Yeah. And it's it's more of like feeling things really strongly. I think is mm. is a. a a hallmark of this sign. And we were just talking to another screenwriter yesterday who was talking about how they move sideways, how crabs move sideways, but how also strong you are at making things happen, but you just come at it in a different way you got to go sideways because
1: crabs right because they don't charge forward like i'm a leo okay the lion's coming right at you is gonna roar but the crab is you know and it's funny my both our mothers are cancers and so we have a lot of feelings about cancers but i'm joking but but i often think this says more about my mother-daughter relationship about the the, yes the, the 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 pinchers yes. so i was going to say the cloth. Yeah. the pinchers but i like this like them moving side the skitter yes yeah. and also
0: how there's a hard shell with sweet delicious meat oh my god under maybe maybe yes. the crab yes. is the
2: orange oh yes I like the crab I like well i don't the think Darlie's orange. birthday That's is so in perfect. the book but we're for sure just going to decide can, right now cancer
1: we can give right. that to her yes we we have actually we never know with this question, by the way, if people have any feelings on astrology. I mean, it can really go <laughs> fall flat badly
0: if someone's like,
1: "Yeah, I don't even to know are And now
0: we're going to ask you about.
1: They're like, <laughs> we don't care, but but we keep it because the vast majority of answers are way the other way. We've gotten some yeah. of the most interesting answers uh, on that, so you just never know. But but there has been some who are like. I know my, my character signs, like you're saying, like I wrote them with that intention. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where we get very interested. I am an
0: Aries, but I have a lot of cancer in my chart and my mom is a cancer, as I said. So I'm, I'm well versed in the good and the bad and I take it take it all. Mm -hmm. Yes,
2: yes. Mm -hmm. So
0: we'd love to, if we have a minute, I'd love to talk about, circle back to the article that made this whole story come together for you. That was really fun to find in the acknowledgments. Yes,
2: there was an article published in the New York Times called The Rich Kids Who Want to Tear Down Capitalism. The Rich Kids Who Want to Tear Down Capitalism by this journalist Zoe Beery. And it was about these millennial heirs who are set to inherit vast fortunes that are in direct conflict with their moral values. And so these millennials are trying to figure out how to give away their family fortune. And obviously, that creates a lot mm. of friction with their families who have set up entire legal apparatus to prevent that <laughs> from happening. And that yeah. I had, so I was walking around Brooklyn Heights a lot. I was thinking about my friend Allie's story. I was thinking about... A wealthy family living in Brooklyn Heights, a brownstone, an in law. But when I read this article, everything clicked together for me because our attitudes towards wealth are so dictated by our age, by our generation. I'm a geriatric millennial. I was born on the (laughs) Gen X side of the millennial spectrum. And so I grew up watching like, Clueless and Troop Beverly Hills and MTV's Cribs. And I was like, money seems so cool. I wish I had it. And then I think that, you know, people who are in their mid to late 20s now have a much more sophisticated relationship. Money is corrupt. It's corrupt. Income inequality is the most shameful issue of our time. Inherited wealth is unfair. You know, they're coming at it from a really different place. And it's opening up some fascinating conversations. And I think I was really interested in seeing how these characters in this book representing different ends of the millennial spectrum. And then also the parents, Chip and Tilda, feel about money and inheritance.
0: Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, so good
1: love that so we want to end with what you're loving i mean i feel like we always ask everyone any books movies tv shows podcasts things you're kind of obsessed with and i mean given your job i'm sure you you certainly read a lot and and get a lot before everybody else oh i have
2: all the book recommendations so yeah just a few i want to call out one which i worked on so i'll say it's a bias but i promise that anybody who remotely enjoys pineapple street will love Writer Katherine Heine. Her novel, Early Morning Riser, was so Mm -hmm. unbelievably funny. And she has this amazing new story collection called Games and Rituals. And they mostly center on women and love, and they are laugh out loud funny. So that comes out in April. And then on my nightstand, I'm reading this really funny totally bonkers novel. I didn't work on it. I'm just reading it for fun. It's called Big Swiss and the writer is Jen Began. Mm -hmm. And it's the, the main character is a transcriptionist. So she is typing up transcriptions from a sex therapist. And so it's, but it's weirdly not actually very sexy. It's mostly just funny. It's a really funny funny, (laughs) book and I'm enjoying it so much.
0: Oh, well, that's oh, what you that's get when you crazy. go through the transcription of it, right? It takes out some of the, the steam and passion that's going on. And you're like, wait, now I'm looking at this. It's yes, kind of funny. Yes, and also,
2: you know, in the way that we were talking about third-person narration, this has this whole cool extra layer in the narration because you're reading the narrator who is reading the transcription of these characters. And she becomes fascinated with this woman she calls Big Swiss because she knows the woman is from Switzerland, and so it's about her obsession with this woman. I'm already laughing. Bizarre and funny. Yeah,
0: right. Oh, I love it. Fantastic. Anything you describe yeah. as
1: bonkers, I think is- I know. Is, we're we're in right perfect. away.
0: Yes. <laughs> well, Jenny, thank you so much for taking time to chat with us. This book, if you haven't read it yet, it has really subtle notes of, I thought, Fleischman is in trouble- the nest mm. little fires everywhere but it's totally unique and fresh and original I highly recommend if you're especially if you love those i feel like this is in that same grouping
2: thank you so much
0: and congratulations
1: again i mean instant new york thank times you. bestseller just just stay yeah, on your i'm not like gonna get it yeah.
2: Printed yeah. The on the a dream. mug let's be honest i'm just gonna carry it around you like should
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> you should
2: 100 thank you so much
0: thank you right, thank you jenny This has been Pop Fiction Women with Corinne and Kate. If you enjoyed this show, please tell the complicated women in your life. And the men who love them. Yes, tell them to listen. And then to follow on Spotify or review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And of course, share on social media.
1: Tag us with your favorite books, TV shows and movies starring complicated women on Facebook and Instagram at popfictionwomen.com or on Twitter at pop underscore women.
0: For more coverage of the women you love or to find out if you qualify as a complicated woman, go to popfictionwomen.com. And keep it complicated.